2 Peter chapter 1. You can go ahead and remain seated this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'll read verses 1 through 8. And um, you can read along silently. Let's go ahead and begin at verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Uh, I want you to maybe circle that section of Scripture. Do you see what Peter said? God has given us uh, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. You notice the tense of the verb, has given, it's a past tense. Uh, it, we already have it, folks. We don't have to seek for all the things of life and, and holiness we don't have, and godliness. We don't have to look for them. We already have them. God has already given them to us. Uh, let's read on. Uh, Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this time we have together today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would instruct us and that you would edify us and build us up in our knowledge of Christ and our knowledge of the Word of God. Thank you for this day. Be with our pastor today and give him comfort and rest and uh, let let him have the assurance that we are in our place today. We are worshiping you as we should. Uh, Lord, that he might make full uh, opportunity of his rest. Thank you for this now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Every person here today understands the principle of growth. As parents, we desired that our children would grow and become strong and confident adults. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. God desires that you and I, as believers, would grow, that we would mature uh, we read In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15, we read, And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? Why did God create these offices? Well, <clears throat> he, he tells us, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, uh, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, we're not going to get to that point. We're not going to become that perfect man. We're not going to reach the measure of the stature of, of Jesus Christ until we get to glory, until we reach heaven. Uh, but on the way there, God desires that we would grow. In verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, 
may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So we see from this passage of Scripture that God desires that we would grow on our journey toward eternal life. He, he didn't just want to save us and leave us in our natural state. He didn't just want to leave us as children of disobedience, as we discussed last week. He wants us to become children of God, and he wants us to grow, and he wants us to, to, to become more and more like Jesus in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, there is a multitude of directions that I could take this study today. However, I think the most profitable formula for success in growth is found right in our text verses in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Let's look at them again. Uh, we'll save a little time. Let's jump over to verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Now, he says in verse 8 that if we, if we abound in these characteristics, in these traits, that we will uh, be fruitful, and, and, and we will grow in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Physical growth is a matter of progressions that begin with our conception, advance with our birth, and continue until, until our death. Uh, you know, uh, technology is great. Um, I think all of you know my, my daughter is pregnant, and um, she has this little thing. She goes to this website, and it shows you exactly where the baby should be every day uh, as it grows. And she was at home one day, and we were looking, her and I, and she, it, she said, look, it's about the size of a peanut, and then different things. And uh, she, she went in the other day for an appointment, and they were able to take a uh, I don't know what it is, an ultrasound kind of photo-like and um, whatever it is. And uh, she showed me that thing, and I looked at that, and I said, what is that? She, I said, where is it? She said, it's right there. I said, oh, really? Oh, okay. And technology is great. You know, we can watch our children developing right in their mother's womb. And, and, and physical growth is a long progression. It's a long process. And, and it takes years and years. I was talking with uh, Zella this morning. She's 94 years old, going to be 95 in a few days. And uh, her body has grown and she's developed and she's matured uh, physically and intellectually and in other ways. And so it is with our spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is a steady progression. And it begins at the moment of our salvation and continues until we see the Lord in his glory. Uh, let me tell you, we're never going to stop growing. We better not stop growing spiritually, because that would mean we've arrived. That would mean we've equaled Jesus, and I don't think any of us here can say that. So we can expect, you and I can expect this progression of spiritual growth to continue all the way through till the rapture, or until we die, and until the Lord returns and we be found in his image. But I want us to notice from the scriptures that we've just read this progression First and foremost, everything begins with the foundation. And on your, on your sheets here, you notice across the bottom, I have Jesus Christ, the one sure foundation. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, we read, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building 
fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Until the foundation is laid, building cannot progress. If you're going to build a house, you can't, build, you can't begin building that house until you've laid the foundation. And the foundation must be solid and it must be sure. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10, we read, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. And having this sure foundation of Jesus Christ, we can build upon it and grow in Christ. And it all begins with faith, God-given faith. And I already have faith on your sheet at the very first step. You don't have to fill that one in. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul writes, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt. You notice that phrase, God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Faith does not come to natural man. Faith in God is impossible for natural man. It must be given him by God. Paul stated that the faith we have has been dealt to us by God. It is a gift from God. No man would ever exhibit faith in God if he is left to his own. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in the time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had all our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. So the faith we have this morning, the faith that we exhibit in God, is not because of our own wisdom. It's not because of our own will. It is given to us by God. It is the beginning of our growth. Then to this faith we add virtue. So on the second line, on the second step, there's a line in there. Write the word virtue in there. And by virtue, we are talking about moral purity. You might want to write that uh, along there somewhere. Moral purity. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, Paul writes, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. See those words there? We're God's workmanship. Our spiritual life is not of our own doing. It is God's workmanship in us. Uh, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. David in Psalm 51 in verse 5 states, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. He's talking about his, his physical birth. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Now that doesn't mean his mother was sinning when he was conceived. It means that she was a sinner. And so he was conceived in the natural state, in the state of sin. Now this is a stark contrast to the words of Paul, where he stated that we are the workmanship of God, and as such are created unto good works. Why did God save us? Well, he saved us, he regenerated us, so that we might live morally pure lives. That's the virtue. God saved us so we would be virtuous. We cannot be virtuous in our natural state. You and I would never, in our natural state, seek to live a moral life. We sought to live a good life, but if that included drinking, if that included smoking, if that included 
uh, carousing, if that included revelry, then, then we would have done it, right? We had no ability to see moral purity as God does, and we didn't have that ability until he saved us, he created us, and his workmanship in us is unto good works. So we add to our faith virtue. Well, then the next step on the ladder is the word knowledge, right knowledge on that third step. And knowledge is knowing the will of God. Knowing the will of God. Now, I want you to notice something about your diagram here. I want you to notice that every step rests on what? On Jesus, the foundation. But I also want you to notice that it rests on the step before it. Let me tell you something. You can't mature if you skip skip any of these steps. Okay? You're not going to be able to grow in the knowledge of God until you first gain the virtue of God. Until you have moral purity, knowing knowing about God won't help you unless you have have the moral purity that comes along with the virtue that we have been given by God. So we can't skip over these steps. These steps, each one of these steps rests on Jesus, the sure foundation, and it also rests on the step before it. And, and, And that's the reason for that is because we depend upon each of these characteristics in our life so that we will mature correctly. Knowledge, knowing the will of God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It all begins, knowledge of God begins with being transformed in our minds. Jesus, when speaking to the Pharisees, often was astounded that they were teachers of the word of God, and yet they knew not these simple truths that he spoke of. These are men who who, who, who bypass the knowledge of God so they could have authority in their lives. But that's not the way we do it. We are to We are to know the will of God through the transformed mind that we have been given at the new birth. We were saved, uh, but before we were saved, I'm sorry, we thought as the world thinks. We reasoned as the world reasons. We logicked as the world logics. But now we are to be transformed. And we are to begin thinking as Christ thinks. But how can we do this? How can you and I be transformed in our minds? Well, let me give you two thoughts. First, letter A, study God's word. Study God's word. We can be transformed by studying the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, we read, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, the average Christian comes to church on Sunday morning for Sunday school, and the average Christian comes to church on Wednesday night for Bible study, and that is the extent of their Bible study. They depend upon the preacher to teach them what they need to know. And by the way, I I love the teaching of our pastor. I love to hear him teach, and I love to hear him preach. 
But that is, can you imagine uh, if you only ate one meal a week? You wouldn't live very long, would you? Eventually, you would die of malnutrition if you only ate one week meal a week. Now, all you have to do is look at me quickly and know I eat more than one meal a week. You can look at me and know I eat more than one meal a day. In fact, some days I eat more than one meal an hour, but anyway. Um, if, we, if we didn't eat regularly, we would die. And spiritually, we cannot, we cannot subsist simply upon the teaching we receive when we come to church. We must study the Word of God. You need to set aside time during your week, whether it's two days a week or three days a week. Uh, you need to set aside, block some time uh, that, that, that you will dedicate to sitting down with your Bible, praying and asking the Holy Spirit to teach you, and then digging into the Word of God and study. Oh, I can't tell you how exciting it is to be alone in a room with your Bible, and suddenly God reveals to you some great truth uh, through His Word. It's so exciting. Sometimes I jump up and, and I walk out of my room and I go into the other room and tell my wife, you know what I just, what I just learned in the Word of God? It's exciting. I do that with my students in school. Uh, I tell you, we need to study if we're going to grow in knowledge. And then secondly, we need to yield to God's Spirit. Yield to God's Spirit. Now, I apologize. I didn't, I didn't add all those blanks on here. You'll have to fill that in best you can. Um, Yield to God's Spirit. John 14, 26, Jesus stated, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, uh, whatsoever I have said unto you. We will gain knowledge of God and his will for our lives through a disciplined study of Scripture and through submission to the Holy Spirit. Um, any of you here a teacher? Any of you teach? Um, you, can, you can teach, Okay. You can walk in a classroom and teach, and students can be sitting in there, uh, but do they learn simply because they're in your class and simply because you start teaching? Of course not. They have to be willing to be taught, right? Uh, you can go sit in a class, and someone can lecture, and you can sit there and just cross your arms and say, I'm not going to listen to this guy, and you won't learn a thing. You have to yield to the teacher. You have to submit to the teacher, and the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And you must submit your mind and your heart to the Holy Spirit of God and allow Him to teach you. If you want to grow in knowledge, not just in facts, not just in data, my computer, my laptop is filled with data, and it's filled with facts. But does it know anything? It doesn't know anything. This isn't Star Trek. I can't walk up to my computer and say, Good morning, computer. And it'll say, good morning. If it does, I'm running. I'm going to tell you that right now. It has no, it has no intelligence. It, it, it simply holds data and, and, and facts and does what I tell it to do with that data and facts. And there's a lot of Christians like that, too. Got a lot of data and facts in their mind, but no knowledge. No understanding and, and, and no assimilation. So, knowledge, knowing the will of God. All right, our next step. We started with faith, then virtue, then knowledge. Now we're going to add the next step is the step of temperance. Temperance. And by temperance, we're talking about self-control. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27, Paul states, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run, that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. 
I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, before we were saved, we had no control over the flesh. It controlled us. However, we have been given power over the flesh through the Holy Spirit. Remember, as I've stated time and time again, when we sin, it is not because we have to sin. When we sin as Christians, when we sin, it is because we choose to sin. Don't deceive yourself. The devil can't make you do anything. He has no power over you. All he has is the power of influence, the same as I have, the same as the pastor has. He can't make you do anything. You have been set free from the flesh by the, by the shed blood of Christ. Now you have been given the ability to live in freedom and to walk in righteousness, to live holy. We have been given that by God. If we sin, we, it's because we choose to sin. Romans 6, 6 and 7 tells us, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. And my old nature is dead. It died with Jesus on the cross. Therefore, I am free from the sin of the old nature. So as we step up this stairway to spiritual maturity, let us be temperate in all things, under control, uh, controlling the flesh and walking in the spirit. Then next on the ladder is, is, is the step of patience. So add that on the next step, patience. And by patience, I'm talking about contentment. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, Paul tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. By moderation, he's talking about contentment or patience. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. One of the biggest problems we face today is impatience. You know, sometimes I'll turn on my computer and it'll take like, it'll just take a long time to come on. And it really doesn't take a long time to come on. It just doesn't come on in nanoseconds. And I sit there and I, oh, come on, hurry up. And I stop and think to myself, you know, I used to have, we used to have an old computer in this office over here. I could come in, I could turn it on. I could go make coffee, cook breakfast, eat, and then go back, and it was still booting up. But we're an impatient people. We're, we're a people of convenience, and we have become impatient. And we're impatient because we're not satisfied with what we have. Think about the job you have. Think about before you had that job. Didn't it look good to you before you had it? We had a job. And we became discontent with that job. And we looked at this job over here and said, boy, I wish I had that job. If I just had that, if I had that job, I'd be happy. And then we get that job. And when we get over there, it's not what we thought. So then we become discontent with that job. And it goes on and on and on. And the same is true with everything in life. This is why marriages break up. 
because people get married and they're discontent. This is why uh, we always buy new cars, because the old car had a problem and I'm not happy with it anymore. I actually knew a woman once, her car just stalled on her, and she refused to drive it anymore and made her husband buy her a new car, just because it stalled out. Uh, we become discontent with our homes. Oh, we got to have a bigger home. We got to have a home that has nine floors. We got to have a home that, that, that I walk in and I clap and the lights come on or, or, or something like that. We got to have the bigger, better all the time. We're a discontented people. We become discontented with what we have and become jealous of those around us. But the word of God tells us in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee. nor for You know what? You should be happy today. You should be content just to know that you are a child of God. Nothing, shouldn't, you shouldn't need anything else to be content today. If, if being a child of God doesn't make you content, then you're never going to be content. Be content with what God has given you. And be patient and wait upon God for all things concerning you. We started with faith. Then we added virtue. Then we added knowledge. Next, temperance. Then patience. And now the next step is the step of godliness. Now we've reached that step of godliness. And by godliness, I'm not talking about external. I'm talking about internal godliness. Be careful here because the Pharisees had external godliness. But Jesus said that they were hypocrites. So we, we're not, we're not going to be talking mostly today about the external. We're talking about the internal. In Psalm 51, uh, David writes, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. In this we are speaking of being conformed into the image of Christ. And I want, to, I want to encourage you men to be at our men's retreat in September when Brother Ekno comes. I tell you, I listened to that message uh, that he had, standard bearers or image bearers. I listen to that thing often, and it is such a great truth. We are to be conformed into the image of Christ, uh, not by a series of rules or standards that are designed to clean up the outside of the man. In Matthew chapter 23, we read verses 25 through 28. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse that first that which is within the cup and platter, uh, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. You know, I firmly believe if you get the inside right, the outside's going to be right. Because if the inside's right, then you want the outside to be right. But not to impress everyone around you, but to honor and glorify your father. Why does a teenage daughter dress very poorly when she leaves the house? You know why? Because she doesn't respect her dad, and she's going to show him that she's going to do what she wants to do. 
Now, if that young lady respects and loves her father correctly, she will do those things that honor her father. And by the way, dads who have little girls, teach them to respect you. And when you get older, you won't have to fight with them about things like this. Don't, give, don't, don't let them rule you around. And moms, by the way, make your children honor their father. Do not let your children talk down to their dad. Do not let your children dishonor their father. You teach them to honor their dad. You say, well, he's a bum. Well, then I don't care. Let God deal with him. You do what you need to do. That's the problem. We're trying to fix everybody else. And all the while, we're full of iniquity. Let's get our own hearts right. And let's teach our children to honor their their earthly father, because if they don't learn to honor their earthly father, they will never honor their heavenly father. So when we talk about godliness, we're talking about internal godliness. We're talking about submission to the Holy Spirit. Learning to walk in meekness and humility before God. Living our life as Jesus did in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, in verses 20 through, 22 through 25, God gives us the fruit of the Spirit, the, the godly life. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It is this inward man that only God sees. That's the part of you that's important. Proverbs 21.2 tells us, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the heart. Let's, let's have godliness, but let's, have, let's start, let's begin with internal godliness. Don't come to me talking about your standards unless you've got the inside clean. Because if you have the inside clean... You won't be talking to me about standards. You'll be talking to me about the love of God. That's what you'll be talking to me about. So we, we're, we're up this ladder, and we're on the seventh step. Wow, we're almost all the way to the top. And the seventh step is brotherly kindness. And by brotherly kindness, I'm talking about selfless regard. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, we read, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I like what he said there, be ye kind one to another. You know, you know what we need in this world? We need kindness. We need kindness. You know, you don't have to go far to find out how, how brutal this world is. Just drive down the highway. People are so unkind, aren't they? They cut you off. They scream at you as they drive by. They, they show you one of their fingers, which is absolutely idiotic. I've seen monkeys in the zoo do the same thing. Just such unkindness in this world. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul states, if, therefore, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. 
Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3, we're told to consider Christ. It states, For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And then that last step, the step right at the top, is charity. And by charity, we mean love. Jesus stated in John chapter 13, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Not just love each other, but love each other as Jesus loves us. By this shall all men know that ye are the disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, quickly, how do we love like Jesus loved? Well, you know, the Bible tells us exactly what godly love is like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Charity or love suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. You want to know what godly love is like? There it is. Go home. Take that verse. Break it down. Assimilate those characteristics into your life because that is godly love. And that is what Christ's love was like for his people. And that's how you and I are to love each other. We've reached the top of the stairs. When we can honestly say we have reached this step, when you and I can look back at our lives and look at each step and say, oh yeah, I've, I've, I've added each of these steps to my life, then we can honestly say we are mature or we are spiritually mature. But if, if I look back and if I can see steps that I've skipped or steps that, I, I've, that are cracked and weak, I better go back and fix those steps. Because if this step over here breaks, the whole thing's coming down. So before we walk around believing and all puffed up that we're spiritually mature, we better take a look at, this, at the steps. We better inspect the foundation. We better make sure that we have taken each step and that each step is secure and safe and solid. All right, folks, that's it. That's all I have for today.